Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did. What a kick. And the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown! In stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now, with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline! Pylon! Touchdown! And the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome into the Punt and Pass podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler, usually joined alongside my co-host, Aaron Murray, but y'all know the drill. Aaron's busy in the XFL. We'll get him back a little bit later on after that season is done and the college football season is done. The national championship was last night. We're going to recap that. And I actually do have a guest joining me on today's episode to kind of wrap up the 2019 season, talk about the game last night. He's a Georgia fan, so we talked a little bit about Georgia as well. His name's Hunter Pruitt. Hunter is a loyal punt and pass listener, and he won our contest earlier in the season on social media. Follow us at punt and pass on Twitter and Instagram to join us on an episode of Punt and Pass. Hunter's great. Stay tuned. We had a really intelligent talk, and he gives some great perspectives on what we saw throughout the 2019 season. That's right. Follow us at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me at DrewButler13, and follow Aaron at AaronMurray11. The college football season is done. Alert. It's done. I can't believe it. The longest season in college football history celebrating the anniversary, the 150th anniversary of college football, is over, and it ended last night in New Orleans, the college football playoff national championship game. Two undefeated teams, number one, LSU, against number three, Clemson, the defending national champions. They had won 29 straight games. Who was going to come out on top? I told you on yesterday's podcast I thought it was Clemson. I really did. I love the underdog role they were playing. I love their ability to stop high-paced, fast-scoring offenses like they did a year ago against Alabama. I just liked Brent Venables and his experience in these types of situations. That's why I told you I thought Clemson was going to win 38-35. to Felt really good. Felt really good about halfway through the second quarter. And then late in the third quarter, I was not feeling so good. That's right. LSU wins the game 42-25. to Joe Burrow caps off just one of the most remarkable seasons in college football history, winning legitimately and literally every trophy possible. LSU looked amazing. Trevor Lawrence looked a little bit off. Clemson got off to a great start, a fantastic start. They were up 10 points with nine minutes to go in the first half, and then LSU just onslaughts, gets 21 unanswered to head into halftime, up 11 points, 28 to 17. I heard last night, I think Herb Street said it, LSU 
gained more yards against Clemson in the second quarter alone than Clemson had allowed any team to gain against them in an entire game in 2019. That's the kind of offense they were going up against. I thought Clemson came out with a great game plan, right? They kept pinning LSU deep. They were not necessarily panicked to put points on the board. They could have gone for a long field goal on the first drive of the game, but they didn't. They stalled out. They punted them deep inside their own 10-yard line, and the defense came to play. They came to play, and the offense, man, they busted out everything they possibly could in those first couple of drives to put points on the board, and they did just that. Trevor Lawrence had a one-yard touchdown run. T. Higgins had that great 36-yard reverse to go up 17-7. The kicker, B.T. Potter, even added a 52-yard field goal, which everybody seems surprised that he made it. Young kid, I guess he was struggling a little bit this season. But everything was pointing up towards Clemson. Yeah, Jamar Chase had a great catch for a 52-yard touchdown from Joe Burrow. But then Burrow, wow. How cool, calm, and collected was he down 10 points to lead Clemson, excuse me, LSU back to an 11-point advantage heading in to halftime. Those passes that he gives to Jamar Chase, I mean, just absolute dimes. It's crazy. It really is crazy how those guys are so in sync and Burrow can deliver the ball with such accuracy and just allow those guys to run underneath it, beat one-on-one coverage, and put points on the board. Crazy. What do I think the most important drive of the game was? Well, there's no doubt. To me, it was that last drive in the first half when LSU converted a third and 19 off a horrible pass interference. I mean, it was so blatant. I couldn't believe what the guy was doing. I know the ball was thrown a little bit behind Justin Jefferson, I believe it was. So the Clemson defender essentially tackled Jefferson before the ball got to him on third and 19, mind you. So that moved the chains for LSU, and then Clemson stops him again, gets him into third and 11, and Joe Burrow tucks it, runs on a designed quarterback draw for about 40 yards to get down close to the goal line. And then he threw a nice little six-yard pass to Thad Moss to take it into halftime, up 28-17. to Coming out of halftime, Clemson does exactly what it needs to do. Yeah, LSU got the ball. They were going to go for the double score there and really put the game away. Clemson gets a three and out and then puts points on the board immediately with a three-yard touchdown run from Travis Etienne, and then they go for two, and they cut it to a three-point game. But soon after that, their linebacker, James Skalski, I believe his first name is James, Skalski, who was balling out, gets dinged for an illegal targeting hit and thrown out of the game. He was an emotional leader on the field. He was an emotional, excuse me, he was a knowledgeable play caller on the field for that defense. And there was a tangible, tangible shift in momentum after that situation. What do I think about that rule? I think the rule needs to be modified. We talked about it after the semifinal games. When Ward from Ohio State essentially did the exact same thing that Skalski did to Trevor Lawrence, that Skalski did uh, to Joe Burrow. Or it wasn't Joe Burrow, it was the running back. Yeah, it was the running back after, uh, after a handoff. There needs to be some sort of, of, of letdown in this rule. If it's not egregious, which that clearly wasn't, which Ward's clearly wasn't in the Fiesta Bowl, give them a warning. 15-yard penalty, 
and a warning, like a yellow card in soccer. And then if it happens again, if you get another personal foul, you're thrown out of the game. I mean, that's a bang-bang play. The linebacker's trying to make a tackle behind the line of scrimmage. It was not malicious whatsoever from any camera angle, but by the book, it checked all the boxes when it comes to what is a targeting hit. So he gets thrown out of the game. Extremely emotional. How could you not be? And you just saw Clemson kind of flinch in that moment. And LSU just continued to march down the field. Thad Moss caught another touchdown. And can you believe this? The line closed, the total, excuse me, closed around 66 and a half, 67, or 67 and a half. It was bouncing up and down all day long. 67 is what this game finished at. LSU 42, Clemson 25. There was not a point scored in the last 12 minutes of the football game. Think about that. Think about that. Two of the best football teams in college football going head-to-head in the national championship game, and there were no points scored in the last 12 minutes for the game to sit at 67. How in the hell is that even possible? Vegas is too damn good. It makes no sense to me. How do they know? How the hell do they know? It sat at 67 for 12 minutes. That never happens in college football, ever, unless it's a massive blowout and you got all your reserves in. That never happens in college football. But, of course, it happens in the most heavily bet game of the year, directly on the number that most books have the most exposure to. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. LSU covered as a five and a half, six and a half, whatever point favorite. If you bet an alternate line, good for you, because they won this game handily, 42 to 25. Crazy, crazy. I mean, you know, were they a team of destiny? You could certainly make that argument, but I think the most important thing is they were just damn good. This offense was damn, damn good. I mean, seriously impressive how they're able to call plays, how they seem to run the same routes again and again and again against coverages that defenses try to mix up as much as possible and these receivers get open. Joe Burrow's allowed to throw the ball with accuracy and timing to make sure that those guys are open, and they rarely put themselves in bad situations. And when they have the opportunity to take advantage of a break that's been given to them, they take it, and they make the most of it. That's what great teams do. It's as simple as that. That is what great teams do. They don't beat themselves, and when they have an opportunity to rip throats, shout out McGruber, they do exactly that. LSU did that. I mean, they took Clemson's best punch. Clemson was up 17-7 to in the second quarter. And at halftime, it was 28-17 to LSU. And then Clemson comes back out, punches him right again to cut the lead to three points, 28-25. to And LSU just stepped on their throat. No other way to look at it. Clemson didn't do anything really to harm themselves. I mean, Trevor Lawrence turned the ball over late in the game. There was only one turnover. Clemson had 23 first downs. I mean, I think a game really came down to third downs. I mean, in the biggest games, you see it in the NFL playoffs. You saw it last week in the NFL playoffs when the Packers beat the Seahawks. Can you convert third downs late in the game? Can you convert third and long? Can you convert third and short when you absolutely need to? LSU can. They're one of the hardest teams to stop on third down. And Clemson really could not convert third downs at the rate that they needed to to win the game. Third down efficiency, 1-11. Come on now. You're not going to win that game. Clemson was 1-11 on third downs. That is losing football. Time of possession, LSU, 34 minutes. Clemson, 25 minutes. 
I mean, just really a fantastic game by LSU. Shout out to the LSU Tigers. SEC gets another national champion. They're 15-0. I believe that's the second team in college football history to go 15-0 after last year's Clemson team. Trevor Lawrence loses his first game in college. Only, I believe, the second game of his football playing career dating back to high school. Cartersville High lost to Blessed Trinity. Shout out, Blessed Trinity. They got a little love on the pregame show, College Game Day. That was pretty awesome. For a little school up here in Roswell, Georgia. So, what a game. Jamar Chase, nine catches, 221 yards and two touchdowns. Joe Burrow, 463 yards and five touchdowns. Simply unbelievable. Shoe in for the first pick of the, of the NFL draft to the Cincinnati Bengals. Crazy. Crazy, crazy. All right, well, hey, I want to bring in our guest here. His name's Hunter Pruitt. Hunter won a social media contest that we ran earlier in the season to allow one of our listeners to join the pod. Unfortunately, Aaron couldn't join us, but Hunter is great. We talk about Georgia's 2019 season. We kind of recap the game that happened last night. He's knowledgeable. He's smart because he listens to the podcast, and he was a pleasure to talk to. So without further ado, and then come back after the interview because I'm going to talk about some off-the-field stuff to kind of have some fun to round out this episode of the podcast. Here he is, though, Hunter Pruitt right now on Punt and Pass. All right, let's welcome in our special guest, Hunter Pruitt. Hunter won the contest earlier in the season that we did on social media which allowed one lucky listener to join us on the Punt and Pass podcast, but instead of us, it's just me. But it's an important podcast. We're wrapping up the season, wrapping up the national championship game that took place last night. So, Hunter, thanks so much for joining us, my man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Drew. Uh, thanks for having me on here. It's uh, definitely a pleasure, and glad to be able to win that contest and uh, be able to have a spot here on the on the podcast. No so, doubt, man. No doubt, man. We appreciate your loyalty. Appreciate you listening. We'll get to the national championship game in just a bit. Obviously, LSU took care of business last night, 42-25 to against Clemson. But before we started this interview, I talked to you. You're a double dog who spent six years at the University of Georgia. So congrats to you on that. That's awesome. But let's kind of wrap up what happened with Georgia season. What were your overall thoughts on Georgia season? Obviously won the SEC East lost to the eventual national champions in the SEC championship game, and then kind of avenged their Sugar Bowl dud a year ago, took care of Baylor. How would you feel about Georgia in 2019? Yeah, definitely some mixed emotions there. I, uh, you know, going into the season had high hopes, uh, you know, high hopes of possibly being there in New Orleans uh, yesterday, and that did not come true. But, you know, throughout the season, you had your ups and downs, the South Carolina game being the low point, and then uh, being able to get to the season and, uh, have some great wins on the road, you know, there uh, in Auburn and down in Jacksonville and some some good highlights and, and some things to take home and say, you know, we had a great season, especially with the, the uh, Sugar Bowl, being able to win against Baylor and finish the season on a strong note and a high note. So I think overall I was, I was happy with the season, um, you know, a little bit disappointing, you know, as, as you, you and Aaron both know, uh, we have high hopes at Georgia and hopefully <laughs> have a national championship here soon. But uh, we, uh, had a great season, great season overall, and I was I was pretty happy with the dogs. No doubt, being so heavily invested with Georgia and loving Georgia football, what would you say the most frustrating thing was in 2019 for you, from your standpoint? Uh, for me, from my standpoint, you know, watching the dogs since you know growing up, um, growing up in Georgia and being at UGA for six years from 2012 to 2018. You know, I've been through the 
you know, 2012 SEC championship game there, um, so close, and being able to go face Notre Dame possibly, and then having the uh, you know the national championship there in 2018. So I've had some 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 years where I've seen those things happen. Um, I think that this year was a little different when the fact of you, you knew halfway through the season that this offense was not uh, the caliber of some something like LSU or even Ohio State. And so knowing that, you know, you kind <clears> of <throat> went into every weekend knowing that, that it could be a it could be a loss, and, and you went to the season thinking, yeah, we can get get the win, um, possibly get that win as long as our defense plays well, and, and they played great this year. Um, I think the most frustrating thing for me uh, was probably the offensive play, knowing the, the pieces we had. But then at the same time, you had to be able to look at it and say, you know, we did have a lot of injuries. We had a lot of pieces that were missing throughout the season. I think we made the most of what we had. Um, kind of echoing a lot of what uh, y'all said on the podcast, I think some of the play calling and, and then not having – um, not having those pieces there and having to work with what you had, it's a little frustrating when you know just how de- good that defense was. Um, and, and to be able to pair it with a great offense, I think we could have, you know, taken a, an extra step possibly and, and even, you know, been playing yesterday. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you look back on Georgia's season, obviously they fall short of expectations now since the bar is set so high. It's either win a national championship or bust. But what they were able to accomplish, I mean, beating Notre Dame, going to Auburn and beating Auburn, beating Florida. I mean, they had a top, couple of top 10 victories that allowed them to take a chance at getting into the college football playoff when playing LSU. Now, we watched LSU last night. They absolutely crushed Clemson late in the game, late in the second half, really mostly the second quarter, to be honest. Does LSU rolling over Oklahoma and rolling over Clemson kind of soften the blow of Georgia not being able to make it to the playoff? Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, when you look at it and you see the way that we were pretty much handled by LSU there in the championship game. And you look at what they did to Oklahoma and Clemson, you're like, you know, maybe it's not as bad as you thought. Um, It makes you feel, you know, I was rooting a little bit for LSU there just because of that, you know, making it feel a little bit better there at the end of the season that, you know, we did get beat by them. And, you know, the South Carolina game was just a bad game. And, and, you know, looking at comparing the way we played against LSU to other teams, and it makes you feel better about where the program is and how we stacked up against them when we did play them. When you look at the year LSU had. Now, will you go around after – Clemson allowed 42 points and Oklahoma 63. Will you go around with pride knowing that Georgia's defense only gave up 37 points and maybe most impressively only 17 points to LSU in the first half? Yeah, no, the, the defense played great. I mean, I, I knew that was going to be you know our strong point there and, and knowing that we were able to keep them to such a low amount of points and keep us in the game, even though the offense wasn't clicking, was, is probably one of those things that I will take some pride in. And I think most of the dog nations should take some pride in because um, you can see what, what happened to other teams and even teams with really good defenses and, and even high caliber offense, just overall great teams were, you know, had faced the same fate um, as Georgia did. All right. Did you expect Jake Fromm to go to the NFL draft at the end of the season? Obviously he has foregone his senior season. A lot of people were expecting him to come back to make one more run at Georgia, but he has jettisoned the dogs and he is gone. Were you expecting that? Cause I was on the podcast telling y'all get ready for it. Cause I thought it was happening. Well, I'll be honest with you, Drew prior to you saying that and me listening to the podcast, I had, you know, every you know, thought that he would be back for a senior year coming, you know, some of the greats like Sonny Michelle, Nick Chubb, Roquan Smith, you know, all of them coming back for their senior year and seeing that over the past few years, thought maybe that might have some influence. Um, and, and really just didn't even think about the fact that he might not come back. And then I started hearing it from you and some other people that, you know, other podcasts and things that I'd listened to in the, in the, the sports field. And um, it didn't surprise me as much as I, as it did a lot of other people, just because I was hearing it here from the Punt and Pass podcast. But 
<clears throat> I do think that if you would have asked me a month ago, I would have been extremely surprised. Um, if you ask me today, I'm, I'm not as surprised, obviously. Um, but I, I think that, as you said, it, it takes one team, one coach to be able to, uh, you know, want you and, and give you that, you know, understand that you're, you're probably going to be able to play at the next level and have a pretty good draft stock. And I think that that probably weighed in a lot in, in that decision. Um, I think another, the other part of it that you hit the nail on the head with is that, you know, a lot of people were very vocal about their, uh, the lack of offense, and that definitely resonates um, when you hear that from outside throughout the season. And I don't know if it has to do with the fact that he was going to have to break in all all new players around him. He just didn't see that happening in the senior season. If it was a combination of all those things, but it doesn't surprise me as much as it does a lot of people. But I do think that you know, with the things that have transpired over the last week with Newman coming in, and I think I think we'll be just we'll be all right next year after after Jake leaves. Yeah, you made a good point though, talking about when. Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle and Roquan Smith as seniors coming back kind of all put their hand in the pile and said, we can make something special. You didn't get that feeling towards the end of the season. There was a lot of NFL talent on this team. They all knew that they wanted to head to the NFL draft, and Jake obviously joined them. You touched on the next subject, though, Hunter. I'm enjoying talking to you. Georgia goes out and gets a graduate transfer quarterback. Jamie Newman's coming in from Wake Forest. Grad transfer quarterbacks have been all the rage lately. Shout out Joe Burrow, the latest national champion. Shout out three straight Heisman Trophy quarterback winners who have transferred from other schools and found a lot of success at their new schools. What are your quick thoughts on Jamie Newman, and do you have a bit more optimism about Georgia's offense heading into 2020? No, for sure. Uh, first quick thoughts on Jamie. I, I really haven't watched him play that much besides a little bit there. Clemson game, you know, when Wake really came on, on the scene with a, with a big game throughout the year, the North Carolina game, some, some of those games that um, he would have been, you, you'd have seen him on TV. Um, I'm really watching SEC most often on, on the weekend. So I, from what I hear, I, I've heard, you know, great things. You know, if you look at some of the comments that, you know, Coach Mark Rick said about him and some of the things that he said over the last, you know, 24, 48 hours about him, I think that, he uh, will be a great fit. I think that the biggest thing is making sure that we the play call actually the play calling actually mirrors what his talents will be because uh, he'll be a different quarterback. And we saw a lot of um, where maybe Justin Fields in the past didn't fit in with the schemes that they were running. And I don't know, you know, he's a dual threat quarterback, and just being able to hopefully see that tailored to Jamie Newman is probably my biggest thing going forward, and, and seeing that you know his talents are fully. Um, able to be shown on the field through the, the plays that are called and the way that, that offense uh, runs. Amen, brother. You've been listening to the podcast. You know it's going to be all up to what James Coley, Matt Luke, and Kirby Smart do from a stylistic standpoint when calling plays, when really diving in to create this offense in the offseason. So I think everybody from a raw talent perspective is excited at the prospects of what Jamie Newman can be. Now it's just up to the coaches to don't mess it up. All right, let's uh, kind of round this thing up. Last night was a national championship game. It's sad that the college football season is over. LSU takes care of business with a monster second quarter and then shuts down LS, or Clemson excuse me, in the second half. They win. They finish 15-0. and Joe Burrow wins everything possible in 2019. They beat Clemson 42-25. to Did anything surprise you last night? Were you with me? Because I was dead wrong. I thought Clemson would win and kind of slow down LSU. Anything surprise you last night, or did it go pretty much as you expected? Well, Drew, I think it went pretty much as I expected. I, I, I'll, I'll go back. I was actually watching the Georgia game when Georgia was playing LSU in the championship. And I looked at a couple of my friends that all went to UGA, and we all graduated about 2016, 2017. And 
we all said there's nobody beating LSU if they play like this. And I think that, you know, I saw that, I, you know, you kept hearing about Brett, Venable, Brett Venables and how his defense might be able to step up and they hadn't seen a defense like that possibly in his schemes and given them that much time. And, you know, I, I think that Joe Burrow was just that good and the season was just, you know, that magical for them that um, there wasn't anybody stopping him. I, I saw that, uh, you know, putting up that many points against the defenses that he played against throughout the season I mean yeah you you saw a few games where he didn't put up a lot of points maybe it was the the Auburn you know the Florida the games that were closer for LSU and you thought maybe Clemson could do the same thing but I think in the end when you just have uh, a powerful offense like that over over four quarters you're going to get you know some some home run shots and they definitely took a lot of them in the second quarter and and had some big plays the one thing that did surprise me was there at the beginning of the game just how Clemson got out of that lead, how they were able to kind of you know, keep LSU at bay. Um, really, the field position game, I think a lot of what you've always said, you know, the, I, I thought about it last night during the game. I said, you know, these punts are some of the most exciting plays of the game. There you go. I mean, when you think about them, <laughs> them putting putting that ball on the two, the three, you know, time after time again and pitting them back there and, and just seeing that happen and, and play out in the national championship game, you see how much it impacts the game on a national scale like that. You know, some of the big games, great teams. Um, every facet of the game is going to going to come into play. So that really kind of surprised me a little bit because I didn't, you know, talking to some of my friends, I said, you know, they're going to go out, go out 14-0, you know, 15. I, I just thought that LSU was probably going to put it to them there the first few drives and maybe quiet, you know, make make Clemson think, hey, I don't, I don't know what we're running up against. And they, they would come back. But I did not see it staying that close for that long. But in the end, they did come out on top, you know, with LSU pulling away there towards the end. No doubt. I mean, great teams take advantage of opportunities when given. That's exactly what LSU did. Great teams counterpunch when punched and they keep their calm. That's exactly what LSU did. And when you got a quarterback like Joe Burrow who can deal the ball to guys like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, it's going to be tough to withstand that over four quarters. Clemson gave it their best shot, just ran out of gas. And I think I heard last night, Hunter, this is crazy, that Clemson allowed more points, excuse me, more yards in the second quarter last night than they had to any team for a game in 2019. I mean, it was crazy. But that drive at the end of the second half, the pass interference on third and 19, but then the conversion on third and 11 when Joe Burrow tucked it and ran for like 40 yards to set up that touchdown, that changed the entire game right there. LSU being able to get those points right before half, I know they went three and out after halftime. Changed the game. LSU knew what Clemson was doing defensively. And then when Skalski got bounced for the targeting, that was outrageous too. But LSU is your champion and uh, well-deserved 15-0. Easily one of the best teams, best seasons of all time. And uh, Georgia, unfortunately, had to go up against them and got whooped up on pretty good 37-10. to 10. But Hunter, hey man, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us on this episode of Punt and Pass. You're informed. You're well-spoken, and you're smart because you listen to Punt and Pass. Any ideas on what I should do to keep this thing going in the offseason? I'd love to hear what you have to say because you've been a pleasure to, uh, speaking with this afternoon. Well, I appreciate it, Drew. You know, it's definitely my pleasure to be able to be on. I've, I've listened for years, and um, you know, being there at UGA, watching yourself and Aaron go through, and being a, a, long, a lifelong dog fan, it's definitely a, my pleasure to be on the podcast. I'm glad I was able to join, but I think that uh, one of the few things that I would say is just, you know, maybe keep us informed of the draft and some of those things in preseason, um, G-Day, and, and just as, as you've done in the past. But uh, that, 
you know, it's a great podcast that I've, I've always, always been a joy to listen to, look forward to it all the time. And I think that uh, just keep on doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. Awesome, brother. I really appreciate you. Go dogs. Have a great rest of the week. And everybody, if you want to follow Hunter, I don't even know, but it's Hunter underscore Pruitt on social media. So give him a follow. He obviously knows what he's talking about when it comes to college football. That's Hunter Pruitt, our contest winner from this season's join punt and pass. And we'll be back right after this. Thanks, Hunter. Great interview there with Hunter. Really appreciated him taking time out of his day. I know he's busy. We've been trying to get that done for a while, and uh, somehow it just happened to work out right after the national championship game. So thank you, Hunter. I hope you all enjoyed that. All right, let's touch on a couple of things that happened off the field just to have a little bit of fun during, before, after the national championship game. One thing, all right, I usually watch ESPN. I tune in every now and then. I'd be lying if I said I did not – I'd be lying if I if I didn't say I wanted LSU to lose last night just so I didn't have to turn the TV on and hear all of these LSU blowhards just pump up the Tigers today, tomorrow, for the rest of time. Marcus Spears, Booger McFarlane, Ryan Clark. I mean, come on. Let's spread it out a little bit. ESPN, yeah, they're down there in New Orleans having a blast, cheering on their alma mater. Of course, I'm a bit jealous as well, but like, it's getting to the point where it's a bit ridiculous. Let's just tone it down a little bit, please. Please. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the season is over. All right, here's a couple of things that I had circled to talk about. On social media, things catch like wildfire. You kind of get a pulse of what everybody's talking about in regards to the game. After the game and during the game, if you were watching, there's a lot of NFL guys who played at Clemson or who played at LSU, who are there, and why wouldn't they be? Odell Beckham loves the camera. Everybody knew he was there. My former teammate, Tyron Matthew, he was there. I think Darren Ravel tweeted out that Ty's hoodie cost like $3,500. It was a Chanel hoodie that he was wearing on the sideline last night. Hey, spend it if you got it. Why not? But after the game and during the madness of the trophy celebration, the confetti falling, Odell Beckham was dancing with the players, hanging out with the players, and video surfaced of him counting money, $100 bills, a lot of them. He has a lot of money. And giving it directly to players, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. I mean, these guys' eyes were lighting up. Odell was saying, I told you, I got you. I promised you I got you. Counting the money in his hand, go find the video. It's all over social media. And handshaking these players whose eligibility is now up. Okay, I get that. But can we be serious for a second? I mean, you already know what Odell Beckham's rap is in the NFL. He loves it being about him. Odell loves Odell. I I get it, okay? Everybody understands that. But handing hundreds of dollars, maybe even thousands of dollars, I don't know how much money it was, directly to players on the field after the game, which you did not play in, but you are taking part of the celebration like you played in it, is maybe the craziest thing I've ever seen. I was like, is this dude for real? What's he doing? Why would he do that other than to attract more attention to himself? Maybe I sound like an old bag right now. All right. I don't know. I would just kind of say, do that in the locker room where there's no cameras or Venmo him. Come on. Here's where it gets even better, though. Here is where it gets even better. An LSU official was asked about the stunt today. 
And this is an honest-to-God response. They said it was fake money. LSU says Odell Beckham Jr. handed out fake money to players in viral video. Oh, yeah, sure. Sure, it was fake. But I got to give LSU credit. Fantastic job of protecting your own. No way you can prove it. Although there's a still picture I'm looking at right now. It sure as shit looks like real money. $100 bills. And Odell Beckham has a lot of it. But an LSU athletic official told reporters the money was not real. Bravo, LSU. OBJ handing wads of cash to LSU players. LSU official. Ah, it's just a joke. Just a joke. Fantastic. Then uh, Justin Jefferson goes live after the game and says he's going to sell his OBJ LSU cleats for $200,000. Joking, of course. They were laughing. But I'm sure he could get it from somewhere. Amazing. Odell Beckham, take a playoff. Odell Beckham, be a little bit more behind the scenes when it comes to blatantly handing players money, even if their eligibility has expired. And LSU, bravo for just straight up saying, hey, money's not real. Deal with it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Another storyline that came out last night. And you've seen the pictures, Joe Burrow smoking the cigar, sitting there basking in the glory of being a national champion. Amazing stuff. Hey, he earned it. I mean, how awesome that the LSU players are just lighting up stogies and celebration. Everybody was having a blast. This is a real article as well. AL.com, Alabama's breaking news website, said a cop busted into the LSU locker room during their celebration and threatened to arrest LSU players for smoking cigars in the locker room. Quieted down the room, yelled at everybody, and said, I will arrest the next player that smokes a cigar in this locker room. This is a real article. Again, go to social media and look it up. The players reportedly laughed and continued to smoke the cigars right in the cop's face, which I find hilarious and good job for those players. And I guess reportedly as well, another police officer tried to kind of say, hey, bro, not a big deal. They just won the national championship. They're in a locker room. It's not like they're in a restaurant or anything. Let them be. And the cop told that police officer, nope, I got this from an official above me, and we need to make sure that they stop smoking cigars. Hilarious. I mean, talk about being on an absolutely hungry power trip. Dude, relax. So funny that the LSU players literally laughed at him and continued to celebrate, as they should have. Smoke as many cigars as you want and smoke them wherever the hell you want. Wherever you want, after being 15-0 and 0 and winning the national championship. And last story I want to touch on, and I tweeted it this morning. Vince Vaughn's an LSU fan. When I was at the SEC championship game in Atlanta, walked right by him. Walked right by him. Bumped shoulders with him. And I love Vince Vaughn. Love Vince Vaughn. Old school. Wedding crashers. Swingers. The breakup. Couples retreat. The internship. Literally anything that he's in, I'm watching it, and I'm laughing my ass off because Vince Vaughn, to me, will always be one of my favorite actors because I grew up with him in high school, in middle school, in college. That dude has provided me tons of laughs. Tons of laughs. 
He's an LSU fan. Good for him, so he's going to go to the game. Why not? Well, he's also an A-list celebrity, so he's going to be up in premium seating, sitting in the boxes, shaking hands with anybody that matters. And last night, President Trump was at the game. And somebody took a picture of Vince Vaughn sitting next to and shaking hands with the president. Oh, how dare he? How dare Vince Vaughn shake the hand of a sitting president? And he's getting dragged on social media by the social justice warriors for shaking hands with a sitting president? you got to be kidding me. You have absolutely got to be kidding me. He's getting dragged on social media by cancel culture, and I will not stand for it. That's right, Vince. I'm here for you. Drew Butler is here for you. I will not put up with the Vince Vaughn slander going down on social media right now. Can't do it. Not allowed. I will stand at the door and protect my man, Vince Vaughn. That is bullshit. Who gives a shit? It's the president. Shake his hand. Sit next to him. I don't even mean, who cares what your political viewpoint is? If you're in that situation, you're probably going to show respect to a sitting president. God, people need to relax. That seriously drives me crazy. It's just sad is what it is. And again, I may sound like a complete old bag or a guy screaming at the clouds or get off my lawn guy. But simply put, I will not stand for the Vince Vaughn slander. Let the guy live. Who cares? Seriously. If that bothers you to the point where you have to tweet about how you're not going to support Vince Vaughn anymore, you are the most miserable human being not named Ryan Skates in America. And Ryan Skates is pretty miserable. Just check his Twitter feed, at Ryan Skates. And now I'm a bit miserable too because I'm in a bad mood that people upset me to the point where they have to talk mean about Vince Vaughn. And I'm also in a bad mood because college football is over. Yep, it's over, people. It is over. And uh, my man, Brett McMurphy, who I've done some work with on Stadium before, Stadium Network, check us out, stadiumwatchstadium.com. He tweeted out before the game last night his top 10 for 2020. And boy, is it flawed. Five through ten right here. You ready? Auburn, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Florida, Oregon, Iowa State at ten. Clemson number one, Ohio State number two, LSU number three, Alabama number four. Yikes. Wow, maybe Bourbon Street got to him a little bit too much. But college football season's over. We're going to have to look at future top 25 ratings for next season. We're going to have to look towards the NFL draft. College football, I already miss you. We're going to keep this thing going, too, on the Punt and Pass podcast. I love talking with y'all. I love keeping everybody up to date on what's going on with college football. Of course, we're going to keep everybody in tune with the NFL playoffs as well. Big thanks to Hunter for joining me. Big thanks to everybody for spending a little bit of time with the Punt and Pass podcast. And I will talk to y'all soon. All right, for Aaron, who's not here. For Hunter, who's no longer here as well. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Follow us on social media at Punt and Pass. Follow me at Drew Butler 13. Follow Aaron at Aaron Murray 11. And I will talk to you all next week. See you.